Welcome to North Alley Church's Sermon Podcast. We are in a series titled, The Next Journey. If you are interested in North Alley Church or our Sermon Podcast, you can find us on our website, nvcmd.org. Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Grant. For those who don't know, I'm on staff here. I work with Pastor Dan. Um, tried at least once a week, catch up with PD, but life's been crazy through all these holidays and whatever and illness and all kinds of crazy things. Um, but I try to work with PD. Um, I play some strategy games in, uh, in some of the work of North Valley, uh, trying to make sure that we're planning things out and we're uh, attacking things with strategy. Um, and so we're, if you were here last week, uh, Dan touched on uh, the start of a new message series called The Next Journey, um, and Dan talked about where North Valley Church came from. Um, he talked from the start of where Dan came from uh, to the start of where Maddie and I came from uh, to where, uh, what existed in this building before North Valley did, Myersville Baptist Church, where they started, how they started, how long this building's been here. And really how all those things kind of meshed together um, and how life kind of turned uh, to, to create North Valley, to start a new church. Um, and so it was a really cool message. If you didn't get the chance to hear it, um, you can go back and listen to it on our podcast right now. If you don't know how to get to the podcast, the secret is NVC Sermon Podcast. You got to look for those words. There's like a million North Valleys apparently all over the world and all over the U.S. And so if you just type in North Valley, the chances of finding us who, you know, pumps out a podcast a week versus all the rest of these places that are popping out like a hundred podcasts a day, or at least it feels like, um, it's hard to find. So NVC Sermon Podcast on Spotify, on Apple, whatever, on Google, blah, 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 on Blueberry, which is our host, um, platform, which nobody uses, but you can find it there. Um, you name it, you can find it on just about any of those. Um, so I'd suggest going back if you are interested to hear a little bit of the history. Even if you don't, it'll be helpful for where we're going with this sermon series to have an idea of where North Valley came from. Um, so today we are starting uh, with the mission of North Valley, the mission. And, you know, you can't think about missions without thinking about the Blues Brothers. You know, like they're on a mission, from God. Um, so, I don't know, it popped in my head as I was doing it. I was like, ah, oh, I don't know. So I've snagged a picture off the line. But the Blues Brothers, right? And so um, I also was trying to figure out, like, okay, what's the best way to start a sermon series about mission? Because leadership, lots of leadership courses talk about the importance of a mission, a shared goal, for teams to have something to point towards so that they're all running towards the same purpose. And so churches in general, it's like, God, like we're all running towards God. But then like some churches are like, but we're all running towards God this way. And other people are like, we're trying to run towards God this way. And some churches are like, well, we're trying to run to other people who need help. And some people, some churches are like, we're trying to run to people who we need to love. And some churches are running towards things that who knows what they are. And so it's important for people at North Valley, for all of us who attend North Valley, for those who would come to the door, for them to understand what North Valley's mission is. And it's important for us to understand the purpose and the point behind establishing a mission statement inside of a church. It's pretty, like I was saying, it's, com it's common in leadership. If you take like, any sort of like leadership or organizational leadership courses, they talk about mission, and they use this guy, and I've heard this dude reference, and I love his name, and I don't know why, but it always pops out in my head because, I don't know, he's cool. But they lose, use a couple of his um, quotes, and so I found one, and I was like, that's cool. And then I found a second quote, and I was like, oh, we got to use that too. So um, my boy Zig Ziglar, anybody ever heard of Zig Ziglar? Yeah, it's kind of, I'm, apparently bro is known for quotes. If you look up Zig Ziglar quotes, I'm thinking like he's got like two and they use them in leadership thing. Oh no, you could have a book full of Ziggy Zig quotes, all right? Zigzag, I don't, you know, it's cool, I don't know, Zig. If that was my name, I'd come up with something cool. But anyway, so Zig Ziglar, he said, outstanding people have one thing in common, an absolute sense of mission. Outstanding people have a one thing in common. It's an absolute sense of mission. And so it's understanding that all these people that are chasing after something, they have a complete sense of what the mission they're going after is. They have a clear goal of what their plan of attack is. They know where they're going, to running towards. doesn't matter what gets in the way. They are running towards that 
and they might have to take, take a step to the left or take a step to the right, but that's where they're going. They might end up tripping and falling down the hill, but they, got, they know where the top of the hill is, and that's where they're going. So having that absolute sense of mission is important for us. It's important for a church. It's important for members of, congrega- congre- members of a congregation, and it's important for us who are, who are uh, followers of Christ. It's important for us to have a mission to go after. Second cool uh, a cool um, quote I got from my boy Zigzag. Um, you were born to win, but to be a winner, you must, you must plan to win, prepare to win, and expect to win. And I feel like that's something you'd hear in like a locker room, and you're like, oh, cool, and then they're like, Zig Ziglar, and everybody's like, <laughs> okay, but you don't tell them that part. But it's kind, of a neat, it's kind of a neat concept, because as followers of Christ, we were born to win, right? As, as being created by God, you were born to win. You weren't born to win in a perfect, clean, easy environment. You were born into a place of difficulty, but you were born to win. And in order for us to become winners, we have to plan to win. We need to know that mission. We need to plan for it. We need to prepare to win. We need to prepare for our mission that we're doing, and we need to expect. The mentality needs to be we are going after it, and we are expecting to win. Because everybody knows in this room, I guarantee it, that sitting in this world If you don't expect to win, if you don't plan or prepare, you get overcome by the darkness. It's a tough place, tough place to be. And so I thought it was really important to kind of share the importance of a mission to kind of step towards the same direction. This is our first step together as North Valley into the Januaries, even though we're like, you know, two-thirds of the way through the month, whatever. Um, But we're taking a step towards our mission together. And we need to tackle it together. So, what is NVC's mission statement? What is NVC's mission statement? North Valley Church exists to empower people through the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. North Valley Church exists to empower people through the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. It messes me up because I sit out there and I'm like, to the left. And I look to the left and I'm like, that's the cross. It's over here. Grace and truth. There's a reason these words are on our wall. There's a reason the cross is there too. But there's a reason grace and truth is on the wall, right? It's important for us. Grace and truth is important. And so there's kind of, that whole statement is loaded, packed full of of important words. But there's kind of three big words I want to draw out today. Um, And they're all of something which you can read, of Jesus Christ. So that part, don't, don't, let, don't let me or don't think that the, that part is important. That is like the most important part. But we're going to draw out three other words because in this mission statement we have empower, we have through, and we have grace and truth. So we're going to tackle empower, grace, and truth because as North Valley Church, as a community of believers together, fellowshipping together as a church, um, we need to be approaching We need to be approaching life, approaching the world outside. We need to be approaching groups and each other, and no matter what scenario you're in, focused on the same thing. And so what we're focusing on is empowering people through the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And so empowering is important, um, but if you're you're empowering and you don't know what grace and truth is, you're kind of going in a a different direction than what North Valley's mission's on. So we're going to hit grace and truth first, and then we'll end with empowering, Okay. So grace, grace. What is grace? What is grace? Um, This was one of these concepts that growing up in the church my entire life, I've heard the word grace a million times. I've seen people name their animals and kids and all kinds of things, the word grace, right? And I'm like, okay, this is an important word. I listen to to it in in the Bible. I read it in the Bible. And I'm like, okay, it's utilized. It is important. Doesn't matter what, what verse you look at that has the word grace in it. Grace is a really important word in the verse. It's anchoring, like it's an important, ver- ver- important word. And so when I started here at North Valley, and I started actually pre-North Valley, when I started meeting with Pastor Dan um, way back, um, not even knowing that North Valley was going to become a thing and I was going to end up here and we would be where we are today, um, Dan asked me something along the lines of like, well, you know, what's grace? And I was like, come on, Dan, I've been in church my whole life, you know, like faith and trust Jesus Christ, Bible. And like, you know, reverted back to like middle school, like all the answers of middle schoolers. It's like, oh, I wasn't paying attention, Mr. Grant, um, Bible, church, God, Jesus, faith, trust. And like, I don't, uh, uh, and grace is kind of a tricky word. 
And the reason I've, I really believe, the reason I think it's a tricky word, the reason it's a tricky word is because understanding the concept of God's grace requires us to need it. Understanding the concept of God's grace requires us to need it. And we're going to get into like how grace works, like what grace does for us. That's one of them on there on the screen. We're going to get into that um, in particular. But like before we even get there, um, I want to go through like what really grace is. See, grace is like unmerited favor. Um, unmerited favor. It's like God's, God's giving of his grace or giving you grace is completely out of your control. A weird concept for today's world. Completely out of your control. There's nothing you can do to get rid of it. There's nothing you can do to change the amount of grace you have. There's nothing to do to get, you can get more of or run away from. It doesn't matter. There's nothing you can do because it's God's grace given to you for no reason other than you're his. That's it. Unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. There's no reason for any of us to even have, like, it, it just doesn't, this concept of, like, there's, you literally can do nothing, nothing you can do can change it. And so, like, I'm trying to get through my brain of, like, how that even works. How does that even work? How does grace and, like, God offering, like, an abundance of just, <laughs> oops, I messed up, God. Hey, it's okay. Like, no strings attached. You don't have to re-earn any trust. You don't have to re-earn anything. Like, it's literally there. He gives it to you. How do you grasp that concept? Um, and it's difficult. And it's funny because as I prepared for this message today, and I've been spooling on the word grace for like months and months and months at this point. Um, and it's, it's weird. And that's kind of where that whole concept of it's hard to understand grace unless you need it. Because when you need it and you recognize that it's there, and you recognize that other people have learned how to show grace like God, um, and you look around and that grace exists, then you're like, oh, crap, I get it now. This makes sense. This is so cool. So weird. So cool. Um, but it's difficult uh, to understand it. And so reading a bunch of verses in the New Testament, I've always got this weird concept with Paul. Um, I taught a message series uh, in, back at our old church in youth. I, I did youth um, ministry. And so I worked with the middle schoolers a lot. So I taught a message one time, and the message was all based on, and I don't remember where the verse was. I meant to go look it up, and I didn't. Um, but I called it the doo-doo verse. And if you spend like half a second, you think about writings of Paul's, a writing of Paul's, and you think about the word do, you'll, you're probably going to like spool up the mess, like the, the verse, because it's like the, I do the things I don't want to do, but I keep doing, and do, 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 do. And what doesn't win with middle schoolers other than the word do, do? All right? So it was a, it was a killer. I'm like, the doo-doo message, and of course everything was slummy poop related. It's, it's, you know, it's middle school. You got to keep them keep them paying attention, and it works. It works. And the funny part is, I've never forgotten the doo-doo verse. But I've never fully, even teaching it to middle schoolers, never fully grasped the concept of Paul's doo-doo, doo-doo-doo-doo-doo, lots of do's verse. Um, I, I'm like, it's a struggle. And you can see it's like an internal struggle from Paul. It's like, I do this, but I don't want to do that, but I end up doing this, and instead I do that, and I want to do this, and I practice to do this, and I keep doing that, and I keep going this. And, but guess what? It all works. I end, I, I'll act, ultimately, it'll end up okay because I'm on God's side. Like, I'm following Jesus Christ. And so, as I was preparing for this message, I remembered that verse. I was poking through some of, our, like, some of the different concepts that we're going to go through real quick for grace. Um, and, and I was like, oh, crud, I get it. Paul understood grace. Paul understood grace. Why could Paul get it so easy? Why was it so clear from Paul? You read all of, and, and all the verses we're going to use here shortly are all from Paul. You read Ephesians, uh, Corinthians, um, you know, Galatians. Like you hear it, and it's Paul unloading grace and understanding the concept of grace and sharing the concept of grace to the churches that he was working with. And I'm like, how did Paul understand this? And then I spent 10 seconds thinking about Paul, and I was like, oh, crud, I get it, Right? Um, let's see, let me think, Grant. Was it because of his past choices and actions clashing with God's love and calling for him? Like Paul the murderer, well, Saul the murderer, becoming Paul, like the guy on fire for Christ, planting churches. Do you think he understood God's grace because his past choices and actions were kind of hitting head to head with God's love and calling for him? And it clicked? God's grace, doesn't matter what happened. He gave it to me. I can't change it. It's there. And I can move forward. 
right? Was it because of that? Was it because he was, he was paying attention to what was going on around him as he planted these churches and as God showed him favor, as he went into these places, as he was, you know, his life was, uh, was um, nearly ended many times, like while he was threatened? Um, do you think Paul was paying attention? Absolutely. You know, do you think he was smart? I added that one to the list because I think Paul's a smart dude just by his writings. Um, but I think a, a, a combination, a collaboration of those three things created experience that Paul completely grasped the understanding of grace. And so it's important for us that if you haven't hit that moment where you've had nothing to do but rely on God's grace, or maybe you have and you don't, you didn't entirely get it, it's important for us to take a snapshot of that time and look at what happened. Look at where, where you went out of that, the direction or path you chose moving away from whatever that concept was or whatever that issue or struggle in your life was, that difficult time in your life, and the path that wish you went. Look at where God was in it. Did you let him in? Did you not let him in? But how did the outcome, how did, how did it roll out? You know, maybe you were in a, a, a really bad accident, and by God's grace, you lived. And it doesn't matter all the choices you've made now, since then that may have been mistakes or may not have you know, been the right move. You're here today. Maybe it was a choice you made that just train wrecked your, your family, your life, your, you name it, your work. But by the grace of God and the people, the grace of the people around you, it's an entirely different world today. You see things entirely different. You feel things entirely different. You can understand concepts that you couldn't get before, right? The grace of God. And I think Paul really understood that. And so we're looking at some verses from Paul about grace um, in order to kind of get a good picture, try to get, do the best we can to get a good grasp on what God's grace does for us why it matters, and why in the world North Valley would empower people through grace and truth. And so the first segment, the first piece we're going to hit on um, is before that slide, Kurt. It's how we're saved. Grace is how we're saved. Grace is how we're saved. Written by Paul in in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, It's a gift from God. Really simple verse. Paul really intentionally put in, and this is not from yourselves. Because naturally, we want to control it. We want, oh yeah, God's giving me grace because, you know, I go to the Bible study. I have friends that are church people. God's showing me grace because I made the right choice and I bought that guy a burrito when he needed it. You know, you name the concept, people do it. Because we like control, When things are out of our control, we freak out. We lose it. But guess what? You can't control God's grace. Because it's by God's grace you've been saved through faith. This isn't something from yourself. It is a gift from God. Handed to you for nothing. See, we don't deserve God's grace. Like, we've all messed up. We've messed up to different degrees. We've messed up all over the place. We've made choices. We've been disobedient. We've wanted more. We've wanted better. We've wanted less. We've wanted different things. We've all done it. But guess what? His love, through his love, he offers the grace freely. And there's nothing we've done to earn it, nor is there anything we can do to gain anything more from it. Like, it's how we're saved. It's through God's grace, what he gives to us, that saves us. Because we believe in him and we know his grace exists. We follow Jesus Christ, and it's God's gift. We deserve far, far worse than being saved, but it's God's gift to give it to us, and that is how we're saved. So we're saved through grace. Second thing is it helps us to succeed in doing God's will. It helps us to succeed in doing God's will. In 1 Corinthians fifteen ten, it says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was, without, was, was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. See, in, in this piece, uh, I read that one a couple times because I was like, Ooh, I, don't, I don't know if he's like flexing or not. Is he pointing? I'm really confused on what Paul's doing here, but I think I kind of get it. And so I had to read through it a couple times. And it was interesting because Paul points um, to how the grace affected him um, and helped him to be who he was. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. God's grace affected Paul. 
Paul recognized he was who he was. But by the grace of God, he can continue on a different path. He could continue. And, and you know what? And that grace that God gave him allowed him to drive and work harder. And he acknowledged that, right? He says, no, like, um, I, you know, uh, and didn't go without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Paul knew that he was running without yield, right? He was running with no stops, He worked as hard as he could. And why he recognized it wasn't because of him. It was because of the grace that God gave him. It gave him the strength and the power to run forward. Even though the stuff around him and behind him and his past and all around was a mess. God's grace helped him to succeed in doing the will of God. See, one thing I poked at myself this week was like Grant making Grant's choices on living Grant's life the way Grant chooses doesn't end well, right? Uh, Like, if I were to roll things back and look at my life, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing this, right? I'm not worthy. Uh, I'm not capable of speaking super clearly and elegantly. I'm not a super good study person. I'm terrible at reading books and reading in public. I'm terrible at all of those things, and I've made some not great choices in my past. But guess what? I'm not capable. I may have not come from the right background. But by God's grace and his call on my life, I can be at peace with all the old junk. I can be at peace with all the bad decisions. Doesn't mean they're okay. Doesn't mean I would try to do them. It's a repent, right? It's a turn and run in a different direction. But I can be peace. I can be at peace with the old grant. I can put that junk away. I can recall it in order to help give me strength to move forward. But I can put that junk away and I can move forward with God's will, God's calling my life because of God's grace, because of God's grace. And it's not just like I can push forward. Like if you read through those words, um, Paul says, I worked harder than all of them and it's because of the grace that was with me. See, it's not just a normal push forward. When we grasp the concept of God's grace and we put it with our will and we put the past behind us and the poor choices that we're still working on and our us in development that's still going on constantly, don't let anybody fool you. Everybody's still under construction. There is no complete project here in the world. Not one. Not me on a stage. Not Dan on a stage. Not any other church. Not any other pastor. Not any other person. We're all under construction. But with God's grace, we can run forward with God's calling in our life with reckless abandonment. It doesn't matter because he gave me the grace, he gave me the calling, and because he wiped it clean and he saved me, I can move forward with complete reckless abandonment for what's going on because I know it's what he's calling, I know it's my mission, and I know I need to go. I know I need to run. See, it's, it's really interesting um, that, that God gives us this grace in the midst of a mess of a past, in the midst of all the bad choices, because he knows what we're going to do. How amazing is that? God gives us the gift of salvation. He allows you to have another life in heaven that's better than this one. Knowing pure and well, you're messed up. I messed up. We're messed up. And this is like a down-on-yourself service, okay? So don't take any of these things and think like, oh, man, I'm a terrible person. God's grace covers that. We can move forward. But it's wild because grace helps us to be able to accept and to work through our weaknesses. Grace helps us to be able to accept and to work through our weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, Paul again, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. See, God's power is made perfect through our weakness. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Because through the grace we were given, like we don't, we don't deserve the grace, but because of that, it allows us to go, okay, I stink. I made dumb choices. I'm still working on making better choices, but habitually I still continue to make not great choices. Paul's do-do verses, all right? Um, And guess what? Because of all that junk and all that stuff I'm working on, I'm going to push even harder because God's with me. He's given me a direction. I have a calling on my life. I know where I'm going to go, and I'm going to push all the faster because I know I've got this mess 
that I, God's accepted. He knows I know it's bad. God knows it's bad, and I'm working on it, and I'm going to do better. I'm going to turn the other way, and I'm going to keep pushing towards God's calling in my life. God's grace helps us to be able to accept the yuck in the past and continue to work through it and continue to push forward and continue to do better. See, Paul boasts gladly. His words, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. Paul boasts about his weaknesses. Why in the world would somebody be boastful about what they're terrible about or terrible with? Because he knows that it's God's power that lays on him in his weakness. He knows that in that weakness, he has strength because God's grace is with him and he can push forward. Okay, grace, huge concept. Try to talk fast because I have three pages. I told the guys in the room I got three pages of notes because this is a deep service. I don't know why Dan put mission on me, but this is a good one. All right? So I'm trying to get you to, to you know, Buffalo Wild Wings or Cracker Barrel or uh, the Golden Trough, your choice, uh, the bucket, whatever uh, Sunday after. after. <laughs> I can give you references later to what all those restaurants are. But uh, if, if to, your, to your next thing after church. But, so it's going to feel like I'm, we're just going to jump straight back into truth. But if you want some time, um, if you want to poke through grace a little bit more, look at the devotions for this week. Um, they will touch on grace some more. If you think we need more, just more working with the grace topic, please, please say something to me. Dan, send something to info, I-N-F-O, info at NVC, North Valley Church, MD, Maryland, dot O-R-G. So info at nvcmd.org. Send something there and say, hey, I would love another series about grace specifically. Because I honestly feel like grace is one of those things. I'm 35. I've spent 35 years of my life in church, and I never understood grace until a year and a half, two years ago, a year and a half ago, whatever it was. Um, Grace is a super important topic. And it's really important for us as followers of Christ to be able to help each other with grace by showing and extending grace the way God does. It's really important for us to understand the concept of what God's grace is because it'll change the way you look at people around you. It's really important because as we work in relationships with each other and with people outside of North Valley and with those coworkers that are a pain in the neck, when you understand God's grace and you see how much he's given you, it's easier to look at somebody else and say, hey, that's not up to me. You know, God extends the same grace to you. Do you turn and go to it? Because if they don't, that's their problem. But you can offer the same grace. Now, we're going to get into truth. And this is where, like, truth is where we rub feathers, or ruffle people's feathers. We, we rub with people. Rub feathers. Yeah, I don't know. This is where things get tricky. And I, and I recognize, see, I told you I don't deserve to be on terrible with words. I, you know, like you see like those highlights of like pastors saying terrible things on stages. I will be one of those people one day, I guarantee it. Just because words get mixed up and things get meshed together, and next thing you know, you said something you probably shouldn't have said on a stage. But it's fine, like poop. But I just roll with it, doo-doo. Um, anyway, how about truth? How about truth? So this is one of those topics that I, I, I'm fully aware that can get a little tricky. And I will tell you why. I, I completely recognize that churches have uh, that churches have completely screwed up the topic of truth. There are churches all over the place that don't want to share what truth is. There are people all over our society who don't want to share what truth is. What they want to do is share a version, a distorted version of some sort of half-truth with a bunch of lies that is not truth. It is a lie. Churches do that. People do that. Organizations do that. It is everywhere in our society as a whole. And it is extremely difficult to decipher what is truth and what is not truth. And so before we get into truth, I want to talk about like the basis of truth. This is where we're going today. This is the basis of truth. And one of the most irritating things as a 30-something-year-old guy who's gone through like certifications for random things in my work, life, and construction, who's gone through college and done that stuff, one of the most irritating things in my life has been the old pick the most correct statement. Pick the most correct. Are you joking? What happened to true false? Like, give me a bunch of stuff that's wrong and give me one that's right and let me pick the actual right. Don't make me pick that. what's the most accurate statement. That's garbage. That's not truth. You're talking pick the most of the lies. 
We don't work like that. But that's how our life works. As I evaluated myself going into this truth thing and trying to figure that out, that's what kept jumping out in my head. Our world is surrounded by pick the most correct. Which one do you like out of these five? Pick the most that's correct for you. A, problem solved. Move on, right? Hey, um, there's a lot of weird things going on in the church, but it's, it's, you know, pick the right one that feels right for you, and that is the truth. Love God. Have a nice Sunday, right? And that's churches around our world. That is not truth. That is a distortion of truth. That is a pick the most correct, which is false. False, 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 false. Answer's false, right? That is not truth. So, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best to cover this truth topic and not like I'm not intentionally trying to upset anybody. But if I do, please come talk to me. Please come talk to me because if you know me, you know my heart. I do not want, I, I am not a person that likes conflict. Um, but what I've felt more than anything as I've worked through this message is that it is important for us to understand truth. And I mean the real truth. The foundation of which truth comes and that is the word of God. That is the basis of truth. Anything that's a distorted version of what God says is false. Anything that's counterproductive or counteracts with what God says is false. Anything that is not clear, God's clear with it, and it's not entirely clear, it's false. God's word is truth, and that's where we get our truth from. You can't change math, right? Can you, can you change math? Can you make like one plus one? I tried this with Maddie one time just out of sheer just attempt. I remember like talking conversation. It may have been somebody. No, I think I'm pretty sure it was Maddie. Uh, and she was like, you're, you're, you're a moron. You can't. I'm like, well, wait, what, you know, what if one wasn't one anymore? It was potato. And potato plus potato equals, she's like, what, two potatoes? Yeah, okay, all right, you got me, right? You know what I mean? But like math is math. You can't change math. One plus one is always two right? It's not potato, it's not orange, it's not four, it doesn't matter. You can change one to call it something else, chair, but two chairs is two chairs, right? Six chairs is six chairs. That is the, fa- that is the fundamentals of math. It is at the basis, pure, it is what it is. You can try to manipulate it, but it's math. God's word's the same way. Truth is the same way. Truth is truth. God's word is truth. It is unchangeable. If you change it, you're distorting it, and it's wrong. It's not, it's not, at at its foundation, so as a concrete guy, foundations are extremely important. At its foundation, it is it. It exists. Truth exists. God's word exists as what it is. If you want to leave a portion of your foundation out and substitute it with some mud, have at it. But I can promise you, it's not going to hold up a good house or a pool or a building or your choice. It's not going to end well. Okay? There's lots of structural engineers that try those kind of dumb things. Doesn't end well. Different story. Okay, so God's word is truth. Any manipulation, modification, anything else is a lie. All right? God's word is truth. Psalm 119, the psalmist says, uh, verse 160, it says, all, of your wor- all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Now, I'm not just like, this, is, this isn't just like the only verse in the Bible that says like God's words are true. This is just like the pick of, of a bajillion of them, okay? So God's word is truth. There's no questions about it. Like his word is truth. The, the Bible and histor, histor, historic, historicity, I don't know, whatever. The history piece of the Bible, like where things are laid out, where cities are at, what happened when, what battles were going on, the world, the people who are really smart, who study history, will use the Bible as a reference tool to go find those places and uncover those things. Like, it exists as truth, okay? God's word is truth. So, like the math and the math and the potato and the whatnot, like, it, you can change it, you can manipulate it, you can distort it. Our world does that kind of stuff, but it's not true, it's false, okay? So, um, in the same words, that like, uh, in, the same, in the same way, God's word is truth, like, we can say it's right. God's word is right, because truth and righteousness roll together, right? God's word being truth, God's word being correct, that is that foundation of our understanding. 
So truth, at the most simplest form, God's word is truth. If you're like kind of shaky, the world does this thing where like society will like play these games with like taking a snippet of the Bible and be like, see, that's not, that's not true. Right? I mean, like, look, I mean, you know, God was completely okay with this guy doing, like, whatever he wanted out there, right? You know, wiping out whole cities and stuff, like, you know, whatever. The Bible's not true. Spend some time studying about the accuracy, the historic accuracy, but then the accuracy behind the Bible. And I will promise you, the Bible is the most accurate book that's ever existed and will ever exist. It's been defined the co- the, by volume of copies. They determine, like, the, accu- the historic accuracy of of writings by the number of copies that exist. The number of copies that exist of the Bible are far beyond any other, right? It's, there's a, that's a whole message in itself. I remember doing that message at our old church. Um, why, actually, it was a series, if I remember right. Right, Chad? Yeah, because Chad taught it with the high school group, didn't you? Yeah. Um, spend some time looking at the accuracy of the Bible. It'll blow your, you, you will be mind-blown. Matter of fact, you will look at today's writings that we base things off of and be like, hmm, I don't know how accurate that is. Because comparatively, the Bible is beyond accurate compared to anything else we use fundamentally in the rest of our society. It's, it's wild. Um, so, God's word is truth. Second piece about truth that we need to recognize as people carrying out a mission. Jesus is also truth. The book of John 14, chapter, or chapter 14, verse 6 um, John writes, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, the life. Big statement. And if you've like followed the chosen at all or read through the Bible at all, you'll see Jesus making those, that statement like many times, many times. And it's pretty interesting because, um, and honestly, the reason I'm, I'm tying Chosen is because I think the Chosen did a really good job with it. But um, you'll see Jesus you know, saying different things, right, about the, about the law of Moses, about the Old Testament. And, and you'll see, like, all of the Jewish people around, like, oh, yeah, 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 okay. They're on board. Like, I, they may not be like, yeah, Jesus, but they're like, all right, yeah, 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 okay, all right, we get that. Like, we're on with that. Truth, all right, check. Jesus is speaking truth. We're good. When he gets to, and I am the way and the truth and the life, they all hit the brakes. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no. We're cool with all this. All the rest of everything else you're saying, like the, the Bible is cool, like Old Testament, Moses, cool, like the tradition things that are in the Bible that we were doing at that time, like the Jews, cool, truth, 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 truth. Jesus, I'm not entirely sure about that one. Uh, we're going to scratch that one off the list, right? And so it was interesting because it's sort of like... Um, it's sort of like accepting like the all the way thing all the way up to the equals in math. One plus one equals. But then like when it gets to two, you're like, mm, nah, <laughs> nah, that's not a, that's not how you draw two, right? One plus one, it's a seven. It's a, it's a, twos look like a seven, or it looks like a circle, right? It's like accepting three quarters of the truth and then denying the, the last quarter. It's, it's like accepting a portion of the Bible and denying the rest of the Bible. I accept the Old Testament, but I don't accept the rest of the books. I accept, you know what, matter of fact, I'm not even sure about Genesis because who knows when that actually happened. So I'll take like Exodus all the way to like right before Matthew and I'll accept that. But the rest I'm not sure about. See, our world does that. We are full of that kind of stuff around us. It's like, you know, I'm good with church and Bible up to when it starts to hit my money. And then like the tithe thing, let me dig around, find some ways to manipulate and stuff. No. And this isn't a money, please don't don't feel like this is a money, this is not a money sermon. That was just an example. Um, But like you get there and you're like, no, no, I'm cool until you hit my pocket. Not my thing. No, thank you. X. Truth, 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 false. Truth, 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 truth. Right? Our world does that, and then we're like, oh, guys, it's cool. If you don't like that part, just skip it. Take that page out. Um, maybe, like, white it out, because the back might be good, because they have to print. The Bible has a lot of little words. Um, okay, so just take that portion out. But our world does that, right? It's like, oh, you know, um, uh, gosh, guys, uh, you know, being nice all the time, uh, you can, like, it's fine. You can be a follower of Christ and just, like, completely lose your crap and beat the death out of somebody. And it's, guys, it's okay. It's fine. No, 
No, it's not right to kill. It's not right to hurt, right? You go through the, you go through the Ten Commandments, like all of those, not, none of those, and, and most people would say that is not right. It's not right to steal. It's not right to hurt small people or people that can't defend themselves. There are very few people in the world that would disagree with that, and there's people that do have problems, all right? Um, but when you get into some other topics about marriage, there's churches that are like, who cares? Who cares? Do what you want before marriage. Do what you want after marriage. Do with what you want with who you want, how many people you want, whatever people you want. It's cool. It's all grand. Don't kill anybody. Yeah, I'm on board. All right? Don't hurt anybody. I'm cool with that. Be kind to people. Love. Yes, love. You can only marry one woman, one man. No, not okay. And that's our world. We can't accept partial truth. You can take that same concept and tag it to a million other things, right? Um, let's see, oh my God, did I have any other examples? Yeah, that was my two. But you can tag it to any other example. You can tag it to any other example, right? Keeping clean words, clean house, your body as a temple, you, you name it, you name it. And I'm, I'm guilty of, some, of quite a few of these myself because our world has manipulated us. They have tricked us into accepting partial truth, just like the people in Jesus' day. Not much has changed. Not much has changed. And we get mixed up in it, and churches get mixed up in it, because we worry, because we want to share the truth, but we also we want to be kind and love. But sharing the truth in its purest is love. You can't manipulate math. You can't manipulate God's truth. You can't manipulate the word. Because if you do, it's false. So, Jesus is the truth. The last piece of truth, and this one kind of was like, whoo, the truth sets us free. The truth sets us free. It's kind of wild. Book of John, chapter 8, verse 32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Sermon over, problem solved, right? I don't know how many of you feel freeing knowing all the truth, but it doesn't always feel free, right? But the wild part, the wild part is the truth thing, when we take matters into our own hands in order to make the truth fit, in order to make the truth fit the mold that we want, when society takes truth in their own hands in order to fit the mold that makes me feel good, we take the responsibility of owning that truth. When we modify the truth, we take the responsibility of owning that truth. That means that it's your job to make sure that you're using the right truth at the right time with the right people. That also means you're supposed to be wearing the right mask at the right time at the right places with the right people. Because when we modify the truth, it needs to be maintained as modification. Like it needs, it's, a, it's another bag to carry on your back beyond the strain and the stress of the world. See, when we modify truth, and truth exists in a thousand forms of different types in different societies and different worlds and different classes and different educations, it requires you to be chained to the lie. That is not freeing. That is the complete ultimate opposite of free. Ask me how I know. Because I lived a portion of time in my life chained to a lie. Not fun. Not comfortable. Not, as a matter of fact, in the moment you don't recognize it, but on the outside of it, you're like, holy cow, that was not fun. Talk about freeing. Bust those chains loose. Because God's truth, the foundational truth, the pure truth of God is freeing. Then it's God's truth. It's his responsibility to hold the status of what that truth is in its purest form. And it's his responsibility to make sure it's justly dealt with and it's right. It's not your responsibility to maintain what is just and what is right. If it's your truth, false. If it's your false, it's yours to handle, right? But if it's God's truth, it's his responsibility to handle. 
It's freeing. The truth will set us free. It becomes, it's no longer an issue about being a good person. It's no longer an issue trying to carry out our truth narrative or your truth or my truth. All that goes out the window and you get to deal with how do I maintain, approach this mission, carry out what God's calling me to do, and follow God's truth. The house's foundation is somebody else's responsibility. We just need to be putting it together. We move the way God calls us to do under his truth. Any distortion messes it up and you become to live chained. So this is what I want us to do. I want all of you and I to live off the chain for Christ. That was a joke a little bit. Come on, people. It's okay. Off the chain, right? You got to live off the chain. Come on. Come on, people. All right. Um, So the truth will set us free. When we understand and recognize that it's God's truth, it's his to resolve, it's not ours to maintain or manipulate, it's not ours to change, move around, it is his, it becomes freeing. When the truth feels like it's holding you down, we need to check to make sure that it's not our truth, but it's God's that we're following. All right, so, in power, what do we do with it? We have a clear shot at what grace is and what truth is. Right? We've walked through grace and truth. The mission of North Valley is empowering people with the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. So if we're going to empower people, I'm sorry, through, empower people through the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. If we're going to empower people through the grace and truth of Jesus Christ, what does that mean we need to do with it? So Dan, I think he touched on a little bit of this last week, but we have this like, uh, we have what we, I think we call them our values. We have our values. And this has sort of been, historically, has sort of been like a, a Dan goal. Um, the way Dan wants to function in his church. But today, I want to shake that up. Like, this isn't Dan's responsibility. This is us. This is a group of people and a church's responsibility to carry out. This is what we do together as a mission. And so we need to empower people through the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And it comes from a vision of healing, equipping, and commissioning. Healing, equipping, and commissioning. When the recruiters used to call my parents' house because there was four boys that lived in the house, I loved to get the phone because I thought it was the funniest thing ever. Because at the time, I'd had knee surgery, maybe two, had some screws in my knee, and I knew there was no way they would take a dude with screws in his knee, regardless of how in shape or not in shape or how healthy or unhealthy, whatever it was, he was. So I pick up the phone, hey, this is a recruiter, blah, 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 blah. Can I talk to somebody? I'm like, yeah, man, this is Grant. What's up? Oh, we want to see if you want to be a part of them. You name the thing. And I'm like, oh, dude, that sounds so cool. I got two screws in my knee. I've had a couple knee surgeries. Would you take me? Oh, mm, uh, I'd, have to, I'd have to talk to my person. Let me, uh, mm, let me get back to you. Okay, have a nice day. Click. Like, that was fun. I enjoyed every second of it. Um, and the reason behind that, right, becomes that they're trying to recruit people to help maintain safety in our country, to help maintain some organizational structure in our company, or in our country, to help maintain those things. Uh, They don't want somebody who's beat up and is still healing. They don't want somebody that's like hurting themselves, trying to help other people that are maybe on the fringe of death, right? Like that's hard. They, they they, They need people that are ready to go, that are ready to function, that are ready to push forward. See, in order for us to meet our mission and to go out and empower people through the, tr- the grace and truth of Jesus Christ, we need to be a couple things ourselves. And this is where Dan's vision has come in. But again, I want to make sure that we're kind of working towards the same plan. So this should be our vision, our vision as a church. We need to be healing, we need to be equipping, and we need to be commissioning. Healing, we need to be healing. People are going through stuff Even when it doesn't look like it, people are going through stuff. When you think you've got it the worst, there are people around you who are also experiencing rough. But there are also people who have gone through some stuff and ended up on the other side. We are all at some point going through a healing phase. Sometimes it's a recurring healing phase. It happens and it happens and it happens and six months down the road it happens again. Sometimes it's a big period of time, and then we recover slightly, and sometimes we have to go back through healing. But as a church, we need to be working together to help people who need healing. 
We need to be a place that's open to people who need healing. We need to be a place that's encouraging to help people walk through healing. You are not doing the healing. I am not doing the healing. It's God's job to do the healing. But as a church, as a mission, we need to be pursuing and helping people get connected with God to get on board with God, get on board with what God says, and be able to help get resources around people to help encourage healing. It's important. Healing's important. It's helpful for people to be able to get to the next step of equipping, to being prepared for what's coming, right? It's crucial for all of us. So as a church, we need to be keeping an eye out for those people who need help healing. If we're one of those people, we need to be reaching out to the people around us to help us heal. Because we can do it together. There's strength in numbers. When there's people around you pointing, hey, you know, I know you're going through some stuff. I know you've gone through some stuff. I can bring you a meal. Hey, have you, have you prayed today? Hey, hot, when was the last time you read your Bible? Hey, I'm missing your face around church. Hey, I just want to know I'm here and I love you. When we have people around us doing that, it helps us to promote healing. It helps us to heal. And that's an important piece because we need to be healed in order to help empower other people through grace and truth. Second piece is equipping. That just means being given the resources and prepared to carry out the mission that God has got you on. Your calling that he's working with you and the mission of North Valley to be equipped. So equipping comes from, sort of, globally, structurally, comes from Dan down. But that doesn't mean it needs to stop with Dan. We need, as leaders, to be continuing to, up the, begin, continuing to equip the people that work around us, the people that work with us, whether they're small people downstairs or us upstairs, right? Or the people in between that are on the stairwell, I don't know. Um, but we need to be equipping each other, right? Hey, I don't do well, I don't, I'm not very good with words. All right, cool, Grant, well, let's get you educated, let's get you talking a little bit better, and let's get you in uh, conversations where you can talk with intelligent people and you can learn how to be intelligent, I don't know if that'll ever work, but it's just a concept, right? <laughs> right? How about, okay, I'm not very good with sharing the Bible. Okay, well, let's get you in a Bible study. Let's get you comfortable with the Bible, and let's get you talking, right? Equipping, equipping, preparing people for what's to come. And the last piece is comm- or commissioning. Commission- commissioning is sending people out. Go. Dan has this crazy concept. When I came from our old church to here, I was like, Dan, there's something wrong with your brain. He has this crazy concept of like, if North Valley is five people, but a different five people constantly, we're doing it right. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? You're insane. Like, we're, churches collect people. We're looking for 15,000 people in one building. We're collecting. It's like a toolbox that you never take the tools out, and they don't go anywhere. That's what we do. And I was like, wait a second, Grant. You're an idiot. That's not what we do. We go out into the world and we do stuff. If we're collecting people, nobody's going anywhere. And if they're going places, they're going and coming back. How helpful is that? Tag, go on it, Dan. You're on to something. And so the last piece of that is important. Because to be able to go out on your own, to be commissioned to carry out the will of God, to go out on your own, you need to be ready for it. You need to be equipped and you need to be healed. You need to be right. You need to be comfortable. And then you need the support around you. And that's what the church is for. We're the support. So we need to be taking those three steps. That's how we empower people through the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. We carry out healing in the church, equipping in the church, and we send people out to carry out the things that God has told them to handle. Right? Whether it's going to plan a new church, whether it's leading worship somewhere else, whether it's going into the school system and doing an after-school program with kids who need help or need some structure and stability around them, whether it's going into a new job or a new workplace or a new work environment to shake up the way it works. God calls us to do all kinds of things in all kinds of different times. Sometimes they feel like you're all over the place. Like, I don't understand why God wants me to go over here. But guess what? He's got a plan, and it's way better than anyone you could ever think of and everyone ever, I could ever think of, any of us could ever think of. We just need to carry it out. So, with all that, in a nutshell, if you've never cho- chosen to follow Jesus in your life, if you're at the church thing and you're hearing me talk about truth and you're like, man, I really want to punch Grant right now, I'm sorry. Um, but if you never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, I am not par- I am not perfect. I, you will hear me say that a million times over. Maddie will nod her head in the back. 
because she knows it as well. And neither is she, and I'll call her out. Yeah, none of us are perfect. But a relationship, a world, in this world, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, life is a million times more difficult. When you're living chained to the lies of the world, it is a stressful place. When you're carrying the burden of all the things that you're trying to keep up in the world around you, it is a difficult life to live in. When you don't even know who Jesus is, you don't know what's in the Bible, or you're not comfortable with what's in the Bible, you haven't read it enough and understand the character of God, it's a difficult life. All of that starts with a relationship with Jesus. When we choose to put our trust in Jesus and follow him, when we choose to make that first step and we decide, you know what, I'm going to do what I can to not do the things that are contrary to what God says and start working and letting him hold the responsibility for those decisions and letting me just carry out what I'm supposed to do, when you start working down that path, your life will change. It feels entirely different. It's a life of freedom. It's a life of a purpose. The world looks entirely different. It starts to make sense of why we are what we are, why the world is what it is. But it requires a start with a relationship with Jesus. And it's super simple. There's no like special, you know, oh, you got to pray a special prayer. Oh, you got to do a, you got to sacrifice an animal. I don't, that stuff doesn't exist anymore. It's pretty simple. You choose to follow Jesus. You make a choice to consciously follow Jesus. You start studying and spending time in. We want to get you baptized because we want people to know that you're following Jesus and we want to be around you to support you. And guess what? The next day, you still have the same habits you had the day before. You still have, you're still accustomed to making the same decisions and doing the same things. Your heart still wants to do the same things. Your head still wants to do the same things. Your brain is still making up things to do the same things. But guess what? It's different because you're following Jesus and we're working to somebody else's rule book. I'm not making up and maintaining my own anymore. Life changes. It's different. But following Jesus is super simple. If you want to make that step and you want to talk to somebody with sophistication and can use cool words, and has got way more skills than this. PD is your guy. He's downstairs with the kids. If you want to talk to me, I'm happy to talk to anybody at any time. Everybody's fully aware, and I've been talking for the last uh, 40-something, 40 40-ish minutes. Uh, yeah. So, you know I like to talk. But I'm happy to share as much as I can with you. Um, but a relationship with Jesus is critical. Because to carry out a mission of empowering people, oh, the band can come up, and carrying out, that's always the last thought, carrying out a mission, carrying out a mission where you're empowering people through the grace and truth of Jesus Christ needs to start with you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's hard to understand any of that if that relationship doesn't exist. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be the best. It doesn't have to be flawless. Matter of fact, it doesn't have to be any more than a day old. It doesn't even have to be a day old. But that first step in a relationship with Jesus Christ and a decision to make, allow him to take control and allow you to follow what he leads is the first step to freedom and being able to empower people through the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. I hope nothing more than this year in North Valley, together we take the stress off of Dan to try to handle all, he's going to put it on himself anyway, but to try to handle all of this on his own of making all the choices, moving all the things, calling all the meetings, doing all the stuff. And I, I just pray that we take it, the leaders, the people who are involved, the people who want to get involved, that we're comfortable going, you know what? I know the mission. I know what we're going after. Hey, PD, this is what I want to do. You good? I don't need you to do anything. I just need a green light. I'll check in with you within a month. Okay, see ya. Let's go do it. Let's get healed. Let's get equipped. And let's go. I hope this is the year North Valley can take that first step and we together as a congregation can start running to help people be off the chain. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we just thank you for our time together. We thank you for the truth that you've given us in the word. Father, we thank you for the lives and the examples, um, but particularly the life of Jesus and the example he gives us. We pray that we're able to just recognize what the truth is. Recognize that the things around us are often flawed. That the, that the feeling-based and, and pressure-based truths that exist aren't truth. That the truth, your truth, is the foundation of who you are. And that we need to find you, pursue you, learn what you care about, who you are, and what you want, how your character works. And Father, live on that. Father, I pray that we can all be just unchained.
Father, that we be removed, just the stress be lifted from us, where we can be free to not have to carry our own truth or the life, the society's truth, Father, that we can see the grace that you give us and we can just continue to press forward regardless of our past. Father, I just thank you for our time together this morning. I thank you for all these people who are here who haven't gotten up and left because I say crazy things sometimes. Father, I just thank you. I praise you for all we've given today. I would just pray that the remainder of our day just be focused on you. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.